it's, I haven't partaken in any of the French lessons. I'm looking forward to the Nina accent coming out in the French. I thought the Cork accent was <laughs> but Donald Ryan's will take it to a whole new level. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes. Passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score. Welcome back to a new season at the Hard Yards. I have Kev McLaughlin and Pat McCarry in the studio. Morning. Hey. And we have Ronan O'Gara and Ian Madigan on the line from Paris and Bristol, respectively. Uh, Raj, how are you? Great. And yourself? I'm pretty good. Uh, Ian, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks so much for having me on. How is... Raj, we'll go with you first. How is pre-season going? Because you're kicking off Saturday. Yeah, it's... Um it's great it's, um, it's I suppose it's been the longest um, building we've ever had in French rugby which is about 6-7 weeks um, last year was 4 days and a game on the 5th day imagine and um, this year it's been good but um, a lot of injuries for some reason and also um, it's been I suppose uh, really tiring from a coaching point of view because it's a time where you can get an in- an intense uh, amount of work done with the players so uh, I found that I've been tired I need to manage my energy better in that regard but it's been um, it's been hugely interesting you actually get genuine coaching because if you play Saturday Saturday an awful lot of the week from Wednesday on will be rest and kind of just mental preparation for the players but now every day you can coach and that's uh, I suppose the thing that I love about it the interaction with the players have you found that you're bringing anything in now from the uh, your experience in Irish camp? Yeah, I am. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I think obviously the two lads would know Joe a lot better than I would, but um, <coughs> I was just fascinated with his energy, his enthusiasm, his drive every day, just from seven in the morning till ten at night. And you won't ever, I think, repeat that in the club setup. But um, I think just. Um, the emphasis he puts on certain I suppose key values that that's what really interested me and how you have to drive it because players learn differently and learn in different fashions and different forms and I was um, just fascinated to see some people are probably better with a paper and pen and other people actually need to see out in the pitch actually walking through it and then running through it to learn so if you learn it and you're secure in your head I think then you can add aggression and attitude and uh, running lines so uh, for me it was it was a great experience So uh, Ian that's the um, the coach's view of how pre-season is going how's the player's view? Um, it's obviously some players dread it you know and more so the guys who are coming back in poor condition that are going to have to be doing you know the, the fat camp and, and you know extra sessions on Saturday but um, what I found is you know as my career has kind of gone on you you begin to start looking forward to pre-season and it's not an opportunity to iron out any injuries you're, you're carrying from the previous season and um Gives you, you know, as I said, you know, bigger windows to be able to improve your skills because you you, you don't have um, games for you know six seven weeks, so you can you can train hard, you know, throughout the week and um, you know a lot of clubs now as well they give you the weekend off, so 
you can you know still make something of your weekend which is nice um, but uh, now it's been a good pre-season here it's been more similar to what I would have been used to in, in Lancer in the sense that there's more structure around it more consistency um, whereas I found in France you know, you'd be arriving in every day and you wouldn't really know what, they're, what they were going to throw at you um, so it's, it's been nice being back in that kind of more structured system I found it's probably been easier to commit to because you know you're only going to be on the pitch for maybe an hour or 45 minutes whereas in France it could be you know over two hours and uh, you just it's very hard to commit 100% when you're not really sure how, how, how long you're going to be out there because you've got to keep a bit of, bit of energy left in the tank was that a big was that a big shock to the system when you're moving from a very structured environment to so, into something that well a would have been an unknown for you going over there and b you know you're finding it and you might not have liked it you know what what do you do in that position do you just go with the flow or can you try and influence that in any way as a player yeah i think initially you've got to go with the flow you know you're you know you're new there and in a new club so you don't want to be coming over being like oh this is how he did it here this is how he did it there um you know, there's there's more than one ways of, of being successful and um I suppose when I first arrived over in France there were certain things that I probably knew deep down that they weren't doing right and then other things that you know, that they were doing very well. Um so you've just gotta kinda choose your battles I suppose and you know, pick the ones that, that really matter you know, matter to you and that you think are gonna make a big difference. Um but uh, yeah, it was you know it was tough. It was you know during my time in Leinster, I knew it was a special place, um, and like the structures they have in place there, and the, the people they have working in the club, like from the S and C staff through to you know the physio, medical, even like the people who are working in the ticket sales, and obviously the coaches and the players. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty special group there, and um, because that's all I knew, I, I probably thought that you know every other club in, in Europe was like that whereas the reality is they're not um, so you just have to you know adjust and adapt to that and um, you know it was hard at times but it was, it was also a very refreshing experience, experiencing a new club mm. The um, bring Kev in here Kev uh, were you ever in fat camp as part of pre-season or were you a good boy I was unfortunately uh, <laughs> I, I went through that invincible stage where I was like I can eat whatever I want I'm never going to get fat and then around the age of 24 25 it happened I got fat over the summer <laughs> I had uh, I had one kebab too many on holidays and I came back and like there was an explosion in my belly over, over the course of the four weeks and I found myself in fat camp doing like real shameful like at one stage one of the things we did when we went on tour Jason Cowan was ahead head S&C at the time the fat boys had to just go for a walk <laughs> it was like the walk of shame so like at 6.30am for our hotel in France we had to just go out and walk around the square for about an hour like fast and walk and uh, it was real shameful stuff. Past, past KFCs and McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep going. They're wafting the smell of croissants across us. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, when you're out with the likes of Rossi and stuff, you're kind of questioning yourself a bit. So, uh, luckily, I never, I never found myself in fat camp again. Um, but like pre-season for me I was like man's talking about some people hate it some people love it I, I got to really enjoy it particularly in the later years of my career it's that kind of 10 to 12 weeks 
of where you're doing 12 or 13 sessions a week and everything's about like pushing you forward and doing a lot of stuff you can't do during the season and our S&C coaches used to talk about putting money in the bank for the season uh, that you can draw on reserves you can draw on later in the season it was a nice way to talk about it it's like fueling up the tank for the season and then throughout the season it was just about maintenance and maintaining what you'd built and then you go again the following pre-season which is great um, I'll never forget the the first proper preseason I did was when checks came to Leinster. Mads, you'll probably remember this as well. His mandate was to come in and toughen us up because we'd had. Declan Kidney, Gary Ella were the previous coaches and there was a feeling we weren't mentally tough enough so he threw all science out the window and he just goes we're going to train harder than we've ever trained before um, we did we were doing six running sessions a week each of them was about an hour long we used to go up to Kleine Hill on Saturday mornings I remember that drive out to Kleine Hill on a Saturday morning absolutely dreading it um, and he absolutely beasted us to the point where guys were on their hands and knees by the end of pre-season all it was was him watching to see who buckled and who looked weak and who was kind of hanging in there and it was just an assessment of who, who was going to be mentally strong enough to last the Leinster and he used those pre-seasons to kind of weed people out to a certain mm. extent uh, it was pretty horrible at the time but uh, I think it was a good test for us and then Joe came in and he brought in a different level to pre-season like Mads is talking about the long sessions versus the short sessions Joe used to do the most shortest incredibly like intense drills like rugby related drills uh, for conditioning and then allowed the SNC coaches to do their job and I just remember um, pre-season with Joe before the 2013 season was the best I've ever felt like yeah. in terms of the training we'd done and if you get a pre-season right it can be an unbelievable launch pad for the season Yeah, the, um, Raj when you listen to Ian talking about his experience going to France and just a, a different style of, free, of pre-season the le- lack of structure did you go through a similar experience when you went out there from your your playing days with Munster with Ireland to arriving in uh, in a French club setup. Yeah, well, I'm here four years, fifth season, so I've seen a lot, Andy. To be fair, you know, and I think uh, we're a lot further down the road than we were four years ago as a club. But um, I suppose the way it is is that it's driven by French people with French ideas, and that's the way it is in terms of you have three senior management who are. Um, French three strength and conditioners in our club are strength and the medical team is fully French so it's in a French league so it's going to be French uh, and a lot of their thinking is is based on their thinking um, so uh, there are definitely areas to improve I think it would be a fascinating um place to kind of get an all international management team coupled with a few um French coaches uh, it would be I think the, the potential to do something would be huge in France if you could manage to do that but I think um, it's only World Cup winners really that get that opportunity at the minute in terms of you know Jay White was in there um, Joe Schmidt was an assistant for Cotter now with Montpellier I think they're the team to watch this season um, but that's that would be the ultimate goal I think it's just a mix um the, I think the international flavour with the with um, the, the French element to it because you have to respect their culture and their environment and I understand exactly all the grievances um, Ian is talking about um, because it's a it's a very average league for a long time but then come um, playoff time I think it's 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 the best championship in the world for that quarter the quarter final semi-final final of the um, of the Bouclier I think the game goes to a whole new level in terms of just 
um, I would say probably maybe not intensity but just uh, I would say just the whole ambience of the of the whole country it's just it's gripped by the top 14 semi-final and final it doesn't happen for Champions Cup unfortunately but there are massive areas that we could do 10 podcasts on in terms of this but um, it's 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 a hugely interesting topic and you know you look at all the coaches from around the world that have come over to France and tried to crack but a, a lot of them have been run out of the place Rog um, how much of it do you think is down to budgets I mean you look at teams like Leinster and Munster who have managed to succeed in Europe um, with against teams that have five six times their budget and I think part of part of like it's part of Irish culture obviously but it's also part of what like the provinces have had to do they knew they had to find an edge somewhere um, and they weren't going to do it by bringing in the best players in Europe like the likes of Toulon and Toulouse and Ras and Can. Um, you know do you think maybe the massive budgets encourage bad habits and that maybe we don't need to work on our focus and building something special here because we can bring in unbelievable players or is it purely a French thing I would turn that around and I would I would probably from an outsider looking back at Ireland just I think how incredibly well driven um, the players are created by their own group I would like to think that um, you know you can look back at the guys from John Hayes to Quinney to Axel to Halvey to hopefully Strings myself uh, that kind of generation drove that you look at all the local Leinster players from your time how he drove that to a whole new level some could say that there was um, average players completely over excelling but because he played for each other he maximised absolutely everything the example would be in France okay if you sign a player and he becomes overweight it becomes acceptable okay? if, if that was in Ireland you would have the senior players in that in that club um, doing fitness with him getting the best out of him managing his lifestyle to make sure he drops the weight if in France it's not it's just viewed upon as accepted it's a small thing but yet it's a massive thing because um, you could have a player that's uh, 10 kgs overweight punishing the team but isn't too driven to shift the weight what would happen in Ireland would be that he would absolutely uh, train hard eat well live well he'd get a six week window period if he's uh, playing ball with his teammates the lads will do everything for him but if he's taking the piss out of them he'll be dropped and he'll be he'll be, he'll be uh, sent home you know I think yeah. that's that would be my reading of it I just think that the values in Irish rugby are only seen and Mads has said it when you leave it because when, you ha- when you're when you there you think it's really tough and it's hard being an impact sub but it's an unbelievable squad environment be it um, obviously I'd be friendly with a lot of Leinster guys but the, in Munster in Irish camp I think um, it's something that um we uh, as Irish people are very good at I think we're unbelievably hard working and driven and uh, you know you look in France and that's the great thing about Andres and Sustain here you have the New Zealand culture the Australian culture the South African culture the Georgian culture the Fijian culture um, the Anglo-Saxon culture so the Argentinian culture so you get to see everything and you get after four years you kind of get to see the mental side of it too and um I just think there's great learnings in that regard to 
um, sometimes just as Irish we don't back ourselves enough would be yeah. the only mm. thing I've taken out of it the, um, Ian you're now on to another step of the journey I suppose how did the signing for Bristol actually come about? Um, basically uh, once past uh, agreed to to come over to Bristol um, he has uh, this, he's with the same company that I'm with uh, Esport Eve and um, he spoke to Ryan Constable about it and asked would I be interested in, in coming over and at the time I was um, out of favour in, in, in Bordeaux and uh, <clears throat> you know wanting um, you know probably a more structured environment um, so I had a few conversations with Pat um and a few conversations with people in Bristol um, and uh, basically uh, you know offered me to come over and, and uh, want me to be part of what they're building over here um, you know they've made it clear with uh, some of the some of the big signings they've made and um, with bringing over you know the strength and conditioning staff Pat had in in, in Connacht um, and you know a very good medical team here to to um two Irish lads Rory Murray who's from Northern Ireland and uh, another guy Owen from Dublin uh, it's just the whole package really on, on, on that side of things so um, really appealed and they offered me a three year deal so it was you know, good security at this stage in my, uh, in my career and um, I then had to speak to Bordeaux about it because I was uh, supposed to be over there for two years and then just came to an agreement with them to release me out of the second year of my deal and um, was able to come over then, so um, it's been good. I haven't, I haven't really looked back since. I still, I still really enjoyed my, my time over in France, and um, it's not something that I, it's not a decision that I, I regret regret doing. You know, I was able to meet some great people, and um, you know, seeing how the you know the French culture works, and playing in a, in a different competition, and being able to draw off the likes of you know Adam Ashley Cooper and some senior guys like that who've great international uh, experience. Um, I definitely agree with me as a person as well. You know, I think in 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 Leinster in Dublin, you know, you're in your comfort zone. Everything's kind of everything's laid on for you in the club. Um, you know, you've, your 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 teammates are guys that you've come to school with, or you've played underage stuff with, or you've known for you know four or five, you know, seven, eight years. And um, you know, you're playing in in the same competition each year. You kind of have a fair idea of what other teams are going to bring, and um, you know you. You, you, you know going into pre-season roughly what's involved and um, I was kind of ready to you know to, to challenge myself and experience something something new something different hmm. um, so you know it's, it's definitely grown me I think as a person as well yeah Pat wanted to come in there yeah. Yeah. Ian what is it I suppose when, when, it, when it looked like you were signing for them it looked odds on that Bristol were, were going to get themselves relegated so um, was that a kind of completely you know, different challenge to take on. Was there something that you discussed with Pat as well? How, how kind of um, what this next season is going to entail? Um, no, it wasn't. Honestly, a conversation I had with Pat. Like he was, he was, he, he was. You know, saying to me that it, you know it was a long term thing. At the time, it was kind of fifty fifty. Like I think themselves and Worcester were were only two or three points apart. So I was still hoping that they were going to stay up. But, yeah, you've got um, you've got Duncan Callahan to thank for that one, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> yeah, he, he's still managing to, to screw over the answer voice. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he, um, yeah, no, like the, the, the thing is with, with Bristol, like, 
it does give us more time to, to get everything right. Like, whereas if, if Paddy came over and we'd stayed up in the in the Premiership last year, you know, it would have been a bit of a rush job trying to get you know his whole system across. Um, and you know getting everyone buying into it and building you know the culture that he wants to instill in the team in in, in a period of you know five or six weeks or in, in pre-season and then you've, you know you've got to be very ready for game one and that is one of the differences I think with, with France and and, uh, and the UK in the sense that you've, you've got to really be ready on you know game one two three to hit the ground running you can't afford to you know, for example, in the top 14, if you lost your first two home games, you'd probably find the coach is going to get sacked. So that gives you, you know, a very much a short-term focus in, in preseason. You, you want to have your, your players fully fit and game ready for game one. Whereas with the Pro 12, I know at Lancer, you know, you're not really looking to peak for the first game of the of the Pro 12. Um, you're looking to peak for the first European game. So you're going to have some international guys coming back, you know, in maybe game two, game three, game four of the league. Um, you're going to have some guys who you're not going to rush back. You might have had surgery during the summer or, you know, picked up a you know an injury during preseason that you don't want to rush back. Um, and you're also trying to work in preseason on building something like Cal said, you know, building something that's going to sustain you for the whole year, that it's not going to have you peak, and then you know, come post Christmas, you're going to fall off a cliff, and you're going to be feeling lethargic and low on energy. Whereas, you know, the teams in France and the UK, they, they, you know, they have to really hit the ground running, or else you're going to end up like a side like Grenoble last year that got off to a slow start, and then teams suddenly start targeting them. Uh, when they're playing away from home, sending their best side, you know, to, to go and beat them, um, and you know, you, you end up on a on a very slippery slope there, you know. So, mm. you know, coming back to what we're trying to build in Bristol, it means with being in the championship this year that we can, you know, build it gradually through preseason. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure that Pat hasn't shown all, all his all his cards to the team yet, but. He's, he's been able to do that because he wants to build it slowly and, and make sure it's going to be something that's sustainable and going to stand us in good stead over the next few years. Mads, you were there when Joe came into Leinster, obviously, and he went about trying to build something special. Like you say, he didn't get off to an amazing start. I think we lost our first four games under him, but he was planning long-term all along, and he knew there was the, the talent there to build something special in Leinster. Do you get the feeling like Pat and Joe come to the same school in, in New Zealand? Um, I think they've worked quite closely together in the past. Do you get the feeling Pat or Pat's doing something similar and has a similar style to Joe, or what's that been like so far? Yeah, I, I, they're, they're they're similar in, in lots of ways and very different in other ways. Um, you know, the, the ways that they be similar, like their attention to detail is um, is incredible. You know, they be we use the drone in, in training, and um, you know, Pat is he must watch the you know the training footage thirty times. Because he, he literally it seems like he's he's man marking everyone and seeing you know which guys are working hard for him, which guys aren't, who's out of position. Um, who's getting off the ground quickly like all that kind of stuff um, that that Joe Schmidt would have would have driven like I remember when, when Joe came in like the, the video analysis were, were worked off their feet because he wanted to measure so many different things for every player um, and you know Pat Pat is no different to that he's you know very consistent like similar to Joe you know I don't know how how um, how much these guys sleep but like Pat seems to be 
you know, up at five, six o'clock every morning and, you know, he sent that WhatsApp at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. So kind of reminds me a bit of, of, of Joe's, you know, incredible work ethic. Um, that sounds like my work ethic as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, just very, very consistent. Kev. Like I'm sure you, you remember with Joe, like you know, if let's say you know someone dropped a pass, he'd be, you know he'd say, "Oh, good players take those." Or if it was something small, like um, you know, setting early in defence, setting early in attack, you find with other coaches like on week three, week four, or month three, month four, that they'll just be like, "Oh, I'll let that one go." <laughs> Yeah. Um, whereas Pat and and Joe will say it every single time, regardless of what player it is, um, and that you know that really instills, I think, good culture and good habits, you know, in a team. The um, in terms of culture, uh, Roger, go back to you. How is Dunnick Ryan settling in over there? And mainly, I want to know how his French lessons are going. Uh, he's settling in well, I think. Um, I suppose he's um, very happy to to make the change. It was one hundred percent his decision, so it's a, it wasn't a contractual issue. I don't think. I think he just wanted a lifestyle change. So it's probably an important point for people at home to understand that he wanted to do it. So if he wants to do something, he's going to embrace his new challenge. Um, but he's um, struggling with um, a neck injury, and I think his body is fairly battered from. Um, taken a pounding over the last uh, number of years so at the minute he's kind of um, he's been managed he, I don't think he'll um, he'll feature um, certainly not in, in uh, game one this weekend but um, he's um, he has a good attitude um, it's I haven't partaken in any of the French lessons I'm looking forward to the Nina accent coming out in the French I thought the Cork accent was tough, but Donner Ryan's will take it to a whole new level um, but he's um, he's up for it he's he's um, he's a closet nerd you know I think he's studying away and he's um, he's on top of things but it's it's one of the things and, and Ian will know if you can't get your point across it's very very frustrating be it as a player or a coach and the game's hard enough in one language and then when you have the translating between French and English and then the inter-discussions and one word can lose it um, lose the discussion or change it or change your perception of what it is it becomes very frustrating so I think um, you have to have a basic level of French and he's keen to get that as quickly as possible now, we'll, uh, we need to go through some of the, the news roundup in the summer because we did take a little break uh, past the Women's Rugby World Cup. We we kind of thought we'd be spending a little more time on this, but Ireland, the performance on the pitch was not what we wanted it to be. Yeah, from the first first game, even against Australia, um, they were they struggled against an Australian team. I think who had only played three times. Uh, I know five times since the last World Cup. So that's five games in three years, and um, it was a big Australian team they put out there. But they they struggled to get over the line against them. Um, it, it was a pretty good, like brave performance because they were on the back foot for most of it, but got a win out of it. But um, then were poor against Japan. Um, 
and then just no, take a no real form into it against a French side that um, you know Ireland just made them look amazing on the day like French, France France are very good but you can see what England did to them they kind of um, they played them at arm's length and put them away so it's very disappointing because the, the enthusiasm was there I, like I know some some media let's criticise the setup, but I liked it out in UCD it was kind of um, maybe it was because it was a bit amateur you know like it was, but it was fun to go out there and I was out there I thought it was a good it felt like a seventh tournament yeah and yeah. I mean that in a very good way it yeah. was two, two, two grand for anyone who wasn't out there there was two small stadiums there was a fan zone in the middle you bought your ticket for the stadium for the day you could wander around it was it was a good environment yeah yeah so like all that was all that was nice and then heading up the road to Belfast um, to the Kingspan Stadium was the plan but Ireland didn't plan on playing a fifth place semi-final to get into it you know to get fifth place so um, and then they just the wheels fell off in the final game and um, you know it was very a lot of the it was interesting to see that a lot of the kind of older guard kind of the, the girls that kind of helped them win the Grand Slam a good few years back were the ones that stepped up again so there was no real apart from maybe Nicole Cronin and Kleena Maloney who was hooker like no one else kind of really pushing through like you still needed someone like Sophie Spence who didn't look 100% fit to come off the bench and kind of save the day on a couple of occasions so um, yeah real, real shame to kind of see how that went because you know things were building nicely and they just looked the, the style of play was, was pretty pretty bland like you know one out runners and stuff like that and no real invention in the back line and, and moves just like maybe any any kind of move they might have planned would just knock them off runners would be shooting at the wrong time and um, yeah it, it was a bit of a mess like and um, you know even from, from talking to a, a few of the players now it's funny that they would talk things up even before the tournament but then maybe um, off the record you'd hear stuff like that the, the planning and preparation was a mess and they weren't happy going into it as well and the likes of England um, New Zealand in Canada were all down in New Zealand during the Lions tour playing each other and, and Ireland were playing against Japan twice and um, you know they weren't getting prepared properly like even if they could have played a France or USA or got another decent side over to help them warm up and they were caught cold and, and it showed I think hmm. uh, Another thing that's happened that maybe people might have picked up is that we've had a raft of law changes uh, Raj um, is this something you've had to deal with in the preseason? Yeah 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 it's It'll be very interesting. Um, What's the biggest impact you're looking at so far? Is it the rock change? No, well, for me, I find the, the biggest one is the, on the exit. So the, the blocking players have to be bound and you can't form a, um, a straight line. So essentially what you have to do is just to build a train in terms of when the nine is trying to uh, box kick we say from inside of 22 or on the 22 or outside it so basically any of the forwards that are you know I mean taking up blocking lines they can't just spread across the line you know it has to be kind of um, one in front of the other and bound and you have to make the rock longer uh, but she's try telling that to a forward who's got himself off off the ground after four or five phases and he's sucking the easel and he has to <laughs> But uh, bind on it'll be you know what I mean I think it opens more a window for blowing a penalty every time depending on the perception of the referee so uh, it's difficult because every twice a year now you nearly have minimum four rule changes coming in or law changes and it's it's um, it's difficult you know I think the good one as you said yeah is maybe around the tackle area and the rock and having to come through the gate that takes a lot of the uh I think um, well it takes a lot of the good elements of, of, of certain forwards out of it but it makes it really hard for the defending team at times to slow down the opposition's ball 
Mm. We, we, might, we might dive we into this consistency um, on this you know yeah we'll dive into this I think a bit more in a future show but one thing we'll one takeaway yeah. yeah and see how they pan out but the the Italy tactic will no longer be able to happen which is it's a bit of a shame but um, uh, we have seen Bundyaki and Tyler Blaindell in Irish camp uh, they become eligible I think in October this year so Bundy can play in the autumn and then Blaindell yeah he can play for the Six Nations yeah, yeah in yeah. January yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'm I'm gonna open the floor. <laughs> I'm happy to see it. Yeah, um, um, just re- especially let's say with, with Bundy, like the likes of maybe Henshaw's not gonna be back in time, and Ringrose isn't gonna be back in time. So we might get a, a, a couple of games here in the November series, and um, if you can get the same Bundy Aki that you got the season they won the league, that that can only be good things for Ireland. Like so, um, Tiernan O'Halloran, we were talking to him yesterday at the, the Pro 14 launch, and he was saying he absolutely loved it, but he's got double the homework now from Kieran Keane and, and Joe Schmidt. And he said almost when it comes to Schmidt, it's triple the homework. He yeah. said you have 24 hours to learn it under Schmidt, or you're or you're in trouble already. Tiernan, these are good problems to have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kev, how, what, do you, what do you think? How do you feel with the lads? The lads joining in, good options to have, but it does. We'll always talk about the residency debate. Yeah, from an Irish perspective, like it's it's more options, and I think you know Joe will be delighted to have those options. But you know, it doesn't always sit right with me. Perfectly honest, I think um, I'm just not sure it's it's the best way, the best thing for world rugby. Um, but there are the rules, and everyone else is taking advantage of it. So why shouldn't we? And you know, these guys have been in Ireland for a few years now. They know what Irish rugby is about. They know what the provincial rugby is about, um, and they're going to now. Hope, well, potentially put on green shirts, hmm. um, which again is it a, a, an overall positive for Irish rugby? I'm not sure, uh, but it's it's definitely changing changing the landscape. I think the new residency rule of five years is definitely moving in the right direction for me. Yeah, we don't see it move in for a while. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not something I feel massively comfortable hmm. with, but. Um, Ian, you've obviously got some skin on the game here. Uh, so, how do you how do you feel about this? Are you, do you look at, um, at these kind of squads these days when you see players coming in? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, still still keep it close all in and all. Um, I suppose, like similar to what Kev said, you know, like, like the, the two guys if they've come over and and uh, you know from from what I've heard from from Bundy and and Tyler, you know, they've fitted in really well and you know they've bought in bought in massively to, to the culture in Connacht and Munster and um, you know all they can do really is just play the hand that they've been dealt and you know they're they're operating within the, the rules of the game and uh, you know the best opportunity that they felt they had at the time was to come over to Ireland and, and to fit into you know Munster or, or Connacht and, and give it their all with, with their province and, and then and um, you know, have the opportunity of, of representing Ireland. So you know, good on the good on the two lads on on um, you know making best with with the hand that they were dealt in that sense. And um, you know, look, the, the Irish team it's, it's still going to be picked on on merit. So you know, on a personal note, I just focus on myself and getting you know making sure that I'm playing as well as I can play um, to hopefully be an option for Joe. Um, over here, and um, I'm not going to be worrying what you know what what other lads are doing. I'm just about getting um, myself in the best shape and 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 finding form as best I can, really. Um, but um, yeah, look, it's it's always going to be one of those ones that's going to be topical enough. Um, out of interest, just before we go, did you have um, did you have a word with Joe before you decided to go to Bristol? Was that was that part of your equation? 
and yeah, I had a, I had a chat with Joe. I've, you know, I've kept in contact with Joe since I've moved away. Like I was um, very lucky to have him coach me in Lancaster for for a few years, for you know, three or four years, and to be part of the Ireland setup for for a similar length of time. So, you know, off the back of that, like. Um, you know, Joe's been you know a great kind of mentor and coach for me. So um, I still still keep in contact with him and, and and you know massively respect his opinion and his advice on my game. So no, I, I, I had a conversation with Joe about it, but you know at the time it was it was, um, it was probably a, a tough fit to, to get back into you know one of the other Irish provinces. Um, and you know in the end I just waited up with you know with my family and. Um, and made it, you know, made made the decision on what I thought was the best rugby decision for me at the time. Good stuff. Um, the boys will be back later answering your Twitter questions. But up next, we'll find out how exactly two South African franchises have ended up playing in what's now the Pro 14. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. You're very welcome back to the Hard Yards. As you know, the Pro 12 has become the Pro 14 this season with the addition of the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings. You might be wondering how that happened. Uh, we have Lloyd Bernard from Sport 24 in South Africa on the line to help tell the story. Lloyd, hello. Hi. Um, how did this come about? Uh, Super Rugby is obviously having its trouble navigating expansion and perhaps weaknesses in certain mar- markets, but how have we ended up with two South African sides playing in the Northern Hemisphere League? I think uh, you guys should, should tell us. Um, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, like you said, Super Rugby had its challenges, um, you know, with the expansion uh, over the last two seasons and with 18 teams. Um, it's been difficult. It's been difficult for the the average spectator to, to follow the tournament in terms of league standings. Um, it's been difficult in terms of player depth, particularly in South Africa and Australia, in terms of just having weaker franchises because we have more of them. And I think Sands obviously just got to a point where, um, you know, they needed to do something. And going back to 15 sides was considered the answer. Obviously, the Japanese and uh, Argentinian markets were not... You know, I didn't want to interfere with those because it's considered important to take the game there. And Australia and South Africa were the logical um, countries to, to kill. And when looking at the six franchises and trying to get it down to four in South Africa um, you know the Cheetahs and the Kings were really the only two options given the financial security and the history and tradition of the other four um, so it was tough on them and certainly both both of those franchises offered a lot in Super Rugby um, particularly this season and particularly in, in the case of the Kings and yeah certainly what seemed a, a tough call and has worked out okay for them because um, you know this exit if you can call it that from Super Rugby means that they can land on their feet and and carry on obviously I don't know exactly how those discussions between the Pro 14 and the and the two franchises went um, but it's certainly for the time being it looks like it's going to be a, a happy ending and looks like being cut from Super Rugby is, is not the, the disaster that we, we thought it would be for those two franchises Yeah it was interesting talking to um, Cheetahs coach Rory Duncan yesterday at the Pro 14 launch where he said that he actually picked up the phone himself to the Pro as it was Pro 12 CEO Martin and I to sort of highlights we're getting cut <laughs> have your room um, Pat you were, you were there for that segment mm. it was interesting to hear that perspective 
Yeah, yeah, and um, like the, I know the boys seem kind of in, in twos with it as well, and um, but yeah, that, that was always the thing, wasn't it? With Super Rugby, they kind of diluted the product a little bit, and you know there was no real rivalries there, and you kind of saw it, it suffered as a consequence. But um, no, the, the lads kind of seemed just just kind of chuffed to be there. Everybody's kind of taken it as let's see what happens, you know, like let's. It's it's I think even Gerald Davis was saying that at the the launch he was just saying we know it's a risk um you know there's a bit of a fear factor there but let's give it a shot and see what happens like otherwise those you know teams would have just went off into the long dark night so like let's see how they get on let's get a few internationals back on it, it'll probably be a tough season for them because they're coming off of what is it a six or seven week break from the Super Rugby season so it's going to be a, a slog for them but um yeah let's see how they get on and then I, I thought the other thing that was interesting from talking to Martin and I from the Pro 14 was um, just saying that maybe if they start doing well in this competition in a couple of years that Champions Cup spaces might actually be up for grabs as well which I thought was an interesting thing a whole different ball game Uh, uh, Lloyd Kevin here Uh, just a quick question for me one of the things you said there is that it was tough on them as in for the Cheetahs and Kings it was tough for them to have to make the move Um, interestingly enough I work with Kitman Labs and we work with uh, the Sharks obviously down in South Africa Natal and I was chatting to their backroom staff and when all of this was happening and one of the bits of feedback or one of the things they were saying to us is firstly that they were almost envious of the Cheetahs and the Kings and that they felt that there would be other South African franchises following them north um, and the reasons they were jealous were A because of the, the time zone and B like the travel um, and then other factors like the fact that they think that the Northern Hemisphere leagues are more organised more structured and there's more of a future to them particularly financially um, so I'd just be interested to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I can see the, the appeals, obvious, you know, like you mentioned, the time zones and the potential uh, commercial appeal, which I guess this year will will reveal a bit more of just how commercially beneficial it will be. Um, but look, I think I do think that, that Super Rugby and, and playing against the Kiwi teams is still the benchmark. And I do think that from a playing perspective, you want to keep that, um, you know, with all respect to, we don't know what, what the competition is going to be like in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but certainly, I mean, playing against the Kiwi teams week in, week out has to be the benchmark in terms of club rugby and franchise rugby. So the potential for future um, franchises moving is certainly there. Um, it doesn't even have to be franchises, though. I mean, who's to say that one of our Curry Cup sides can't? Uh, you know, we've, we've got Greekwas who are, who are not involved in, in Super Rugby at the moment, but they're a strong union in the Curry Cup and, and doing good things this year. Who's to say that in a year's time or two, if this goes well, they can't secure a move? I mean, it all depends how, how this year goes, I would imagine. Obviously, Martin at the South African launch as well, saying certainly open to future growth and future um, you know talking about going into the states and um, you know the, the door really seems open and like you say at this stage it seems to be um, anything goes you know the possibilities are endless and, and who's to say you know who's going to go in the future I don't know um, but I mean I, I just can't see uh, you know South Africa turning its back on, on Sanzo and, and Super Rugby I mean um, it, it still remains the benchmark in terms of playing surely the, um, so we got two new teams joining the league and for, for fans out there what should they expect to see from the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings when they pitch up up here I think the Ulster against Cheetahs first game of the weekend That's what, what, will team, what will fans expect to see 
Well, it's going to be it's going to be exciting, um, and uh, I mean, you know, both of those teams in, in Super Rugby over the past couple of seasons have have been exciting teams to watch. I mean, the Kings this year scored some fantastic tries, you know, attacking from all over the field, um, and the Cheetahs have sort of been doing that for for the last few seasons and trying to play that way. Obviously, from from the South African team side, I think conditions are going to play a big part. I think that's the the one thing that stands out. You know, I mean, that old traditional northern hemisphere style of rugby um, it's difficult to imagine the cheetahs given what they've been doing in super rugby for the past few seasons trying to implement a game like that you know um, so I think they'll have a go I think both sides will have a go if it's on they're not going to be afraid to, to attack from anywhere um, but I think they'll also have to be perhaps a little bit more patient and at some some stages a little bit more intelligent than than they perhaps needed to be in, in Super Rugby playing in the kind of dry, warm conditions that they've been used to. Yeah, that's going to be one for the uh, the Pro 14 teams as well, because, sorry, the the old Pro 12 teams going down to South Africa in what is summer. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be quite different. Hard track. Yeah, I spoke to um, Kurt Coleman, who's the, the, the new Kings fly half. He's joined from Western Province. I spoke to him yesterday, and he, uh, you know, the general consensus is that it's going to be worse for you guys than it is for, for our guys. Um is yeah, there any altitude involved? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you would have in, in Bloom. I mean, PE is obviously on, on the coast. Um, but, I mean, you know, PE and certainly Bloemfontein over, over January is, you know, you're going to get temperatures up to 35 degrees, depending on what time it is now. No, um, I've been melting in that with my scrum cap on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whereas, whereas the South African guys who play Super Rugby, you know, are still exposed to, to cold, cold conditions when they play those night games in New Zealand. Um, you know, it's single digits and low single digits. So you would, you would, you would expect the South African teams to be at, a, at, a, at an advantage in that regard I would think yeah I think that that wet and cold experience is going to be useful for them yeah we might not have that kind of Kiwi skill but we have the single digit weather anyway to everything else (laughs) yeah Um, the rugby championship has also started and uh, yeah that was a hell of a start last weekend Um, the All Blacks demolished Australia that second half didn't matter the first half was extraordinary Uh, from your perspective Lloyd uh, South African start yeah, I thought the All Blacks were going to get to 100 points at one stage there, so it was quite scary for, for a South African looking on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think South Africa can be encouraged. I think the, the Springboks were, were solid solid enough, um, you know, in, in, in getting past the Pumas. Um, obviously, a bit to work on still, I think. Um, I still think against um, against the All Blacks, we'll, we're still about 15 points, 20 points short on a good day at this stage. Um, but I think what's key for 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 the Springboks is the next, uh, you know, certainly two weeks, um, or two fixtures at least. I mean, they absolutely have to win in Argentina this weekend, and they absolutely have to win in Australia. Uh, those are two. Alistair in his in his 16 tests now has never won a test away from home. He's eight from 16, and all eight of those wins have have come at home. And yeah, it's absolutely crucial that they that they go to Salta this weekend and and get a result. Um, I mean, geez, compared to compared to this time last year and compared to the year they had last year. Um, they are certainly promising signs at the moment and 
um, gee, I went four from four in, in 2017. If you had told a, a South African fan that we were going to be four from four, you know, midway through last year, I, I don't think they would have would have believed you. But that being said, it's, it's it's been all at home against France and Argentina. So I think the real tests uh, this year and the real tests of how much this team has improved are are still to come. I mean, I think if you if you if South Africa can can leave the championship with with four wins from six. Um, beating Argentina twice, beating Australia twice, and running running New Zealand close in Cape Town. I think they can leave the tournament relatively satisfied. Um, quickly before we wrap up on uh, Rossi Erasmus, there's obviously a huge amount of interest here with his exit timetable from Munster. But from your South Africa, your South African perspective, do you expect him down there before December? Well, I don't know. To be honest, I mean, I saw those quotes yesterday with everyone else. Um, he seems ready to go. I guess he doesn't want to mess mess you guys around anymore. Um, so, look, I mean, I guess uh, you know the role's from next year, but I don't, I don't think it would make too much difference if he came a bit earlier. Um, I think what's more interesting is, is the, the exact role that he's going to play once here. Um, you know, Alistair is just starting to find his feet. It seems he's getting a lot more confident in the way that he picks his teams and the way that he addresses media. Um, he's just starting to settle into the role and find his feet. So, you know, introducing um, a man who will effectively be his boss um, from next season is interesting, and it's a dynamic that we we certainly aren't used to in in South African rugby with our national team. Um, now hopefully Rassi comes in and you know he's obviously one of the most respected rugby minds in the country and SA Rugby have wanted him for a long time I mean they never wanted him to leave in the first place um, and ever since he has left they've, they've wanted him back um, almost created a role for him he's going to come in and take care of our, our national teams and our structures from, from top to bottom so you know it looks like it's going to be a more off-field uh, role um, certainly geared at aligning all of the national teams and the franchises and getting everybody on the same page and kind of I guess identifying and working on a, a springbok and a, a South African philosophy um, so hopefully it won't it won't change what Alistair's doing too much um, and 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 Rassi won't be treading on any toes when he gets here but I mean certainly certainly exciting times coming up yeah what's interesting though is a very similar dynamic when Razi Rasmus came into Munster where Anthony Foley was head coach and he came in and suddenly he was reporting into Razi and Razi did an incredible job there in terms of you know working with, with Axel and um, you know they, they began to build something special together and obviously uh, very unfortunately we lost Axel last year but I think I think he seems to have those softer skills and the softer management skills and ability to bring people together and work with people and, and hopefully he can re- repeat the same when he goes down to South Africa. Yeah, well, I think after last season, everyone will wish Rossi well, whatever happens. Um, yeah, yeah. But again, you go to take your national job. I think that's okay with most people too. Um, thanks to Lloyd from uh, Lloyd Bernard from Sport 24. We'll have fan questions and tips for the weekend's rugby on the way. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening today. We have Hayley O'Connor from Ladbrokes at the table and our producer Joe Harrington has joined us. Hey guys, how are you? 
Joe, why are you here? Uh, I'm here because uh, for our <laughs> section with Haley this year, we wanted to change it up because if you're listening, uh, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes here. Andy and Pat are really fighting before every podcast about who knows more about rugby. So we wanted to test it out by doing a Pat and Andy head to head. They have to put season. their money where their mouth is. Exactly. Yeah. So Haley, we're going to go through four four possible options for this week. Going forward, we'll do all the Pro 14 games and stuff like that. But this week, let's start with the women's rugby. World Cup final what do Ladbrokes have on that? Well there's no surprises um, in terms of who's turning up for the final so this the England and New Zealand final was expected England are 13 to 8 on um, and New Zealand 11 to 8 and I suppose in a way it would kind of be nice to see New Zealand win because like England are the only pro team in the tournament and um, and it's England and it's England <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, so obviously it's kind of sad to see Ireland crash out and a lot of the criticism has sort of come under their their coaches and you just think how annoyed you'd be if you put in so much dedication for like a non-professional sport and then to have it messed up by the people who are supposed to be leading you and you know they were criticised strategically and technically and then Eddie O'Sullivan saying they were running around with their like they had their hair on fire but anyway if you want to back the the handicap um, England minus three uh, can be backed at 10 to 11 and New Zealand plus three at 10 to 11 so what do you fancy? I'm, I'm taking New Zealand, and I'm ta- and I'm taking them because when I was down there, there was an amazing little piece at halftime of the Japan Australia game where the Japanese little cheer section, all the kids were out there with drums and flags, and the adults behind them with bigger drums. And some of the Black Ferns who'd just finished their game came over and were taking selfies or whatever and then joined in. So they were banging the drums. <laughs> it was brilliant. And so that's why they get my vote. It's an emotional vote that you've made. Completely it's emotional. Not exactly tactical analysis from Andy. <laughs> this, is not, I, this is not a hardcore stats bet. <laughs> that's um, th- that's handy to kind of kick off because I'm going to go for England on this one because just I've, I've seen them actually a couple of times in, in the flesh there at, at UCD and really impressed with them. So, um, yeah. I'm happy enough that we've actually clashed here in our first one. This is it'd be very boring if we all picked the exact same here. Yeah. Um, next games we want to talk about, guys. Uh, rugby championship. We spoke to Lloyd Bernard about it. Um, how do you think it's going to go? Well, in terms of a betting prospect, um, the New Zealand Australia is kind of a non-event. It's going to be very very quiet for us. Um, 66 to 1 on New Zealand and we kind of think that they can win as by as much as they want and if you want to back them minus 29 you can have them in even money but um, I think like we're not going to be um, taking them on and it's very yeah. you, could, you couldn't give Australia away even 66 even to 1 66 to 1 on and wow. 20 to 1 for Australia yeah your turn <laughs> well, uh, go on surprise us we, yeah, we, were, <laughs> we were talking about this we were just saying like uh, New Zealand could have somebody sent off or something it could be something like that or um, well you they know. had a bit of a fiasco last didn't they with their last game with their flanker sent off so like not making it due yeah. to some sex scandal uh, yeah Kano yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> you think the term is personal issue <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah yeah sort of, but then that's it yeah even more motivation well, and then, will Sonny Bill be playing remember they picked up that HIA that was 
wasn't or the HIA that wasn't is actually the term yeah. it was floating around like Bambi on ice yeah if that, if they, again it's like so, did they have someone to watch that like you know like, and, and his legs were gone like for a couple yeah. of, for well not, not a couple of minutes but around 10 seconds and then he made a couple he took, took a couple head. of hits in that few seconds as well like. yeah I think he I think he might have even got back in the line and made another hit but right, stop uh, stalling this is pure stalling like I'm definitely going with New Zealand here and you're not allowed are you backing them are you, are you, are you going for New Zealand minus 29 though right yeah I'll, I'll do okay. that I know no I'm absolutely backing New Zealand okay. but I do think genuinely when you see a two horse race go out when one side is 20 to 1 I am I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I'm sticking a fiver on that Argentina South Africa yeah, so um, Argentina might play a bit better um, being at home. So they're 9-4 to four and South Africa 4-11. to 11, And it's kind of maybe a little bit exciting how well South Africa played in their last match. I think they had a 4 um victory. And like for lots of reasons, you'd love to see South Africa get back to the former glory that they were, once were for, for, um, for World Rugby. Um, in the handicap, uh, Argentina plus 7 can be back to even money and South Africa minus 7 can be back to evens. And actually the draw, minus 7, is 20. Five to one. So, Andy, how do you feel about that? I'm. I always like seeing Argentina do well, but no, I have to go to South Africa in this one. South Africa to win. Yes, I was gonna say the same. Can <laughs> <laughs> we spice it up a little bit more? Or we just go South Africa. We'll just go winner. No, let's let just go win. A short price winner is better than a big price loser. All right, South Africa, but. My pro, pro 14 winner is going to absolutely shock you. That leads us on nicely to the pro the pro 14. Uh, who, who's favourite and who's close? Um, well, like unsurprisingly, we really can't look beyond uh, Leinster. So they're our favourites at seven to four. Munster at four to one. Um, we did lose a bit of money last season uh, opposing Munster, but they have that cloud of wondering who's going to replace Razzie Erasmus. Um, the two new teams, uh, the Cheetahs, are fourteen to one. The Kings um, are twenty five to one. And, um, you know, the only kind of question marks that are coming up about Leinster are, you know, Leo Cullen's always already sort of blowing about um, his his away matches over in South Africa. He doesn't have the the training format of where he can train. So, And also, I think they can only bring a to- total team of 40 over, which is actually probably quite small when you take into account medics and everything. So, and that's going to be a learning curve. But I suppose with Leinster signing, like James Lowe, Scott Fardy, like they're going to be on Unstoppable. Yeah, guys, uh, I'm interested. I'm going to go to Pat first because you teased that really well. Who, who, who do you think is going to win the Pro 14? Uh, I'm good that I guys going to go first. I'm going to go Leinster. I was going to think of something risky, but oh, I have well, to go Pat. Leinster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really put your neck on the line there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole thing is I went first and then Andy doesn't get that pick as well. I think that's how we should do this. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't want to go with Leinster. I, I don't know. Like Munster have a lot of changes. This like you know they're going to have a new coach in the middle, and they could have an like Felix Jones or something that could just be their interim coach at the end of the season. At least it's part of the setup, though. Yeah, that might be less of an upheaval. I mean, that's that's what I was thinking of. I don't think Scarlets can do it again. Like they brought Halfpenny in, which is brilliant, but then they lost with Liam Williams as well. So and yeah. then can they win two in a row? Two in a row is maybe really, I should be really trying tough. to talk you into something. I don't know. You Scarlets, be, yeah. yeah, Scarlets are, are the team to go for. I think. No, I'm I'm going to lean towards Munster again. Great stuff. So the plan is to keep track of this, and uh, maybe at Christmas time we can review to see who uh, who knows more about rugby. To be, yeah. to be very particular, you're keeping track of it. Yes, I am <laughs> keeping track of it. Yeah, um, I'm keeping mental notes in my head here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, but up next, uh, we have listener questions for Raj, Ian, and Kev. Raj, 
Rod, Ian and Kev are back in to answer your fan questions. We put a call out yesterday and these are the best ones we got in on Twitter. So for future shows, use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question for next week. The first one in is from Colin Munfan. Which of the off-season signings will make the biggest impact on his province? Kev. Ooh. <laughs> uh, See, we haven't is, shown these to you. That is an extremely good question. Uh, I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think here. Uh, I think someone like Scott Fardy coming to Leinster is going to have a big impact. Uh, he's still playing great rugby, was playing great rugby for Australia. He's really experienced. Um, and I think as much as what he'll add on the pitch, he'll also uh, bring a great deal of learning for some of the younger players, back rowers and second rowers in the squad. Whether you're playing the second row or the back row, has uh, yet to be seen. I saw they Colin put him out. Seems, yeah, I, he's insistent that it's going to be second row. Yeah, he looked Leo straight in the eye <laughs> at the launch. He's a lock, yeah, and he looked me back. He's a lock. Yeah, he played in the second row in the, the game on Friday against Gloucester. Well, he has but, to, uh, because with the contract rules, if they mess around, you know, everyone's going to see it. Yeah, no, I've always been a big admirer of him, though. He's very, very tough and, and always performs. I think he'd be really good for Leinster. Yeah. Uh, straight to the next one, right, from Killian Byrne. Um, do the panel think that the uncertainty and messing around with the Pro 12, his view, hasten the arrival of an Irish-English-French Super League? Uh, Raj, what do you reckon? Is this something which you'd ever think we'll see? An Irish-English-French Super League? Yeah. Just need a snazzy I don't know. No, not at the minute, no. When you're outside Ireland, I think it's it's very, uh, as we can see when it comes to the rights and uh, what happens in European rugby, they have a small say, I think. Um the two power superpowers of France and England so whatever they they do they're, they're, they'll um, they'll have the ultimate say I feel it would be fantastic to have it but you know what I mean the reality of it is that there's there's a real league I would not a real league but a league in France and a, re, a league in England relegation the Pro 14 is a competition where there's no relegation so the pressures are absolutely nowhere near the same it's in those countries it's preparation for the national team there's a massive amount of of I would say uh, um, pride and value coming into winning that in the last three or four years perhaps but uh, for the last 20 years in Ireland you're judged on whether you win the Champions Cup the European Cup and um, how you do with your national team um, the Pro 14 is, is, is finding its, its legs but I think it becomes devalued when there when there isn't relegation it's different pressure you know it's 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 a very 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 different competition um, and I've only witnessed that since you you see what it does to areas in France that become relegated the, the whole area town suffers incredibly poorly as a result of their team going down next question uh, from Colin Mahan. Um, Sorry, that was that was a cold answer. <laughs> Silence. Thanks for cheering us up there, Roger. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I want an honest answer. I'm completely okay with that. Uh, for next question from this for Ian. Uh, you can feel this one. Or at least start the ball rolling. From Colin Mahan. Who is the most exciting uncapped player in Irish rugby? Hmm. 
Good question. Um, <laughs> good. We were a going lot of home as well. <laughs> yeah, there are, especially when they're Name just after a summer tour. Yeah, Pat, you help us out here. Who's no Pat? Pat got a cap on the summer tour. <laughs> 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 um, Twenty three. Billy, Billy Dardis uh, was a guy I was familiar with in, in the Lancer Academy. He's on the Seventh Circuit now. Was uh, he's you know incredible footwork, uh, good speed, good strength. He's someone who's you know definitely has the potential of of, um, of playing for Ireland. What about this Jordan Lamore guy? Have you? Do you ever? Did you? Was he schools when you were there, Ian? Or, or um, had you seen much of him, Kev? Uh, this the, the new Leinster background. Yeah, someone played the twenties last year. He's a very good player as well. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's savage. Um, the, the guy I would suggest for this season, I think that may make the breakthrough, would be Ronan O'Mahony. I obviously, I think his age profile is probably over twenty-five, but I think, um, in terms of one to watch uh, of the uncapped brigade, I would definitely put him forward. I think he can, I think he can offer something um, gearing towards the World Cup. It's an incredibly competitive area, the back three for for Ireland, but um, I watch out for him big time. And finally, I have to I have to ask Joe the British. I have to ask this. Right, will it, will everyone be watching? Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor <laughs> yes that is a yes from Roger's house <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it's yeah. A, a, a yes from me and yes from Rog Kev no I'll be in a landing odd not a hope I'm getting up for it no, I'll be watching it I'll be watching it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah texting um, Pat Lamb at 5am to see, how, see what he makes of it oh yeah well done the work ethic on whatsapp yeah <laughs> Uh, no that's good listen um, guys we'll let you go I think thanks to Rog to Ian to Kev to Pat and Haley O'Connor Joe Harrington for producing and Sam Dempsey was on sound we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast subscribe to it on iTunes Podcast Republic SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone this has been The Hard Yards I'm Andy McGeady thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week The Hard Yards brought to you by Ladbrokes passionate about sport 